Psalm 87 announces the glory of God's city. Here the sons of Korah direct the reader of this psalm to remember Zion, or Jerusalem, the city of God. Now, have we ever taken the time to remember Zion, to remember Jerusalem, to consider the glory of God's city? As we work our way through this psalm, we'll see not only do the sons of Korah direct us to remember the city, but they also encourage us to look forward to see the future of Jerusalem where God will dwell among the nations. Now, this psalm is post-exilic. That is, it's written after uh, the Jewish people began returning to the land following their Babylonian exile. And you recall that as they returned to the land, what did they find? The once glorious city destroyed. However, they are encouraged as they look forward to a day when the city will be restored and when God's glory will once again dwell within it. Now, we just have a very short psalm here, just seven verses. We're going to divide it into three parts, verse 1 through 3, we're going to see the praise. Verse 4 to 6, we're going to see a proclamation. And then in verse 7, we're going to see a procession. So let's begin with the praise in verses 1 to 3. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Selah. Now, right from the outset, we notice that God's foundation is in the holy mountains. Now, the foundation means that this place, this Zion, this Jerusalem, placed in the holy mountains, is the foundation for God's kingdom and temple. So God, when he established his kingdom with Israel, that theocratic kingdom, Jerusalem was the center of that kingdom. That's where the the king reigned from. That is where the, the temple was founded. Now, when God returns, when Jesus returns, he reestablishes that kingdom, a kingdom of which we are part of, and he will once again establish it in the holy mountains. He will establish his kingdom, his palace, and his temple in Jerusalem. Now, why are the mountains holy? Well, the word holy, uh, the Hebrew term here means separated or set apart. And so anything that is touched by God or is used by God is set apart for his use. When Moses saw the burning bush uh, on Mount Horeb, take your shoes off, Moses, because the place where you're stepping is holy ground. Why? Because God's presence was there. And so because God dwells in the temple on uh, in Jerusalem, which is built on a mountain, the mountains are separated. They're holy. They, these mountains are indeed a prophetic sign because in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, listen to what it says. The prophet says, it shall come to pass. Okay, this hasn't happened yet. When will it come to pass? Isaiah says, it will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, Isaiah's prophesying of what we call the millennial kingdom. And so we have the, the rapture of the church, we have the tribulation, the return of Christ, and the establishment of what is known as the millennial kingdom. When that happens, okay, that mountain, that peak, where the temple formerly rested, 
will once again be the place of worship. And all nations shall come to it. We'll touch on that when we get to verses 4 through 6. Now, a city has to have entrances. And an entrance would be a gate. Now, if it has a gate, then it also implies that it has a wall. Now, what is the purpose of a wall? Either to keep something in or to keep something out. And, of course, the walls kept God's people in, but it also kept out the pagans. But there was a gate in which could be open and people could traverse back and forth uh, from the city of Jerusalem to anywhere else they needed to go and back into the city once again. Well, the fact that the Lord loves the gates of Zion shows that God is resting his love, his chesed, his loving kindness on these gates. That is, he's granted security to this gate. This gate is under his care. And furthermore, his care for his city is more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Now, interesting, the word dwellings here is the Hebrew word for tabernacles. In other words, all the other places where Israel has worshipped pale in comparison to this place. This place, this city, this Jerusalem is more significant than all the other dwelling places. Now, how many other dwelling places have they had? Well, let's think about this. Tabernacle was first given to them, the instructions that is, was first given to them uh, when they were at Mount Sinai. And we know that they built and constructed the temple, or the tabernacle, and for the 40 years of wandering, that's where they worshipped. And so from place to place to place, wherever that tabernacle was set, that's where the people worshipped. When they finally came into the land, that, that tabernacle was set in uh, uh, Shiloh. And so for a period of time, it was there. Uh, there were other places. Now, ultimately, where did God, where had God chosen to establish his presence? Jerusalem. And so, yes, they had other places where they had worship, even during the Babylonian captivity. They, were, they, they, they couldn't worship in the temple. They weren't even in the land. But now they're in the land. Now they're back in Jerusalem. And this is the city that God has appointed. The city of God, Zion, Jerusalem, has glorious things spoken of her, the psalmist says. Why? Why are glorious things spoken of Jerusalem? Why should Jerusalem get this special special attention? Because it is the place where Yahweh's presence dwells. Now, glorious things refers to praises offered. Uh, here's a praise, uh, Psalm 48, verse 2. Jerusalem, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. Now, think about that. Is Jerusalem the joy of the whole earth? Not currently. It's a place of conflict. But that's never what it was intended to be. Now, we're not going to get into the whole why and, and what's of the conflict. Uh, suffice to say, turn on the evening news and there's at least once a week, if not multiple times in the week, uh, something mentioned about the city of Jerusalem and the constant source of conflict. But when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes and establishes himself as the king, he's going to reign from Jerusalem and then it will be a place of joy for the whole earth. Uh, it goes on, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, is Jerusalem on the sides of the north. It is the city of the great king. We ought to say great things about Jerusalem. We ought to praise God for Jerusalem because it is his city. It is the city of Jesus, the city where he's going to reign and rule from. 
Now, of course, when we think about this, it also is pointing ahead beyond the physical Jerusalem to the heavenly Jerusalem, what we call the new Jerusalem. And we know from Revelation 21 and verse 2 that, there, that the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven, the place where God's presence dwells, and it will come down here to earth. So we need to praise God for the city that he has chosen to dwell in. We need to praise God for the place where he has chosen to make himself known to us. Now look at the proclamation in verses 4 to 6. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the people. This one was born there. Selah. Now here in this proclamation, we have a prophetic word. And he mentions several cities. Now we first have to deal with the mention of Rahab. Now this Rahab is not the woman named Rahab uh, who interacted with Joshua and the children of Israel uh, in the early parts of the book of Joshua. This is not that Rahab. This Rahab is the name of a serpentine sea creature who was considered to be the god of chaos in uh, pagan religions and myths. Now, this Rahab was likely a very real living creature of its day, and just as many pagan religions did, they would adopt various animals and things as symbols of their god. Now, the question then is, and you can, we're going to look at Isaiah 30 and verse 7 to find out the identity. Who is this Rahab referring to? He's referring to Egypt. Okay, Isaiah 30 and verse 7 clearly identifies this uh, god of chaos, Rahab, as the god of Egypt. Now, I shall mention Egypt and Babylon among those who know me. Now, if you look at the Fertile Crescent on a map, the Fertile Crescent runs from basically from the Nile Delta and in a crescent shape uh, all the way over to Tigris and Euphrates River. Okay. Well, that's what we have here. We have Egypt, or Rahab, Rahab, lying at the one end of the Fertile Crescent. We have Babylon lying at the other end of the Fertile Crescent. And, of course, both of these people, groups, these countries, had formerly oppressed Israel. Now, in between Egypt and Babylon, we have Philistia on the coast. Of course, we know the Philistines uh, were the enemies of Israel. We have Tyre to the north. Ethiopia to the southwest. So we have the name of these various Gentile nations surrounding Israel. And we ask ourselves, well, who is God speaking to? When he says, I will mention Egypt and Babylon among those who know me, Philistia, Tyre, and Ethiopia. Who is he talking about? He is talking about those who know me in those countries. Now, this is prophetic because what we're being, what's being revealed here is that in the latter days, there are going to be Gentiles who come to know God. Now, again, Isaiah 2 and verse 2 says it will come to about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations, all the goyim, all the Gentiles will stream to it. And so God is revealing here that he keeps a register of Gentiles. 
Now, he knows their origin, he knows their ethnicity, but he also says, they know me. And that means that God is not only a God of the Jews, but he's a God of the Gentiles. And their cities are in his hands, but the key city is Jerusalem, and they all must come to him. During the millennial kingdom and throughout the rest of eternity, all the Gentile kingdoms, all the Gentile nations, that is the people, those nations, will have to come to the city of Jerusalem at established points on feast days, three in particular, during, once the kingdom is reestablished on the earth. God is telling the Jews, I keep a register of the Gentiles. I will be their God just as I am your God. Now, at that point, had the Gentile, were the Gentiles at large uh, following Yahweh? No. But are we beginning to see that? Oh, absolutely. Because we know when Jesus came in his first advent, he made an offer to establish the kingdom. That offer was rejected. It's on hold for a future generation, which is, will occur at the end of the tribulation uh, when Christ returns. But what did he do? He still took the message of the gospel, and now he gave it also to the Gentiles. And so with the establishment of the church, which is an amalgamation of both Jews and Gentiles in Christ, we begin to see the seeds of this being planted. This goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a seed, I'm going to give you a blessing, and that blessing will bless the whole earth. Okay? And what, what, what that seed, of course, ultimately speaks of Jesus. And what is that blessing? The blessing is ultimately having a relationship with the seed, being redeemed from sin by the seed, Jesus Christ. Now, the psalmist also notes that God is keeping a record of his people. He says, listen, there is a man and a man who was born in her. This one was born there, but of Zion, this one and that one, were born in Har. So not only does he have a register of Gentile believers, he has a register of Jewish believers. who, And in particular, they're born in Har, in Jerusalem, ultimately in Israel. Now, what is the difference between the cities of the Gentiles and the city of God? The answer is in verse 5. The city of God, Zion, Jerusalem, is established by the Most High himself. God is above all other gods. Of course, there are no other gods, but in Genesis 14, 8, even through the Exodus, yeah, the people lived amongst pagans who were polytheistic. They worshiped many gods. You know, one guy in this town had this god. Another guy in another town had that god. God wanted it to be clear. Listen, I am the only god. I am the one true god. I am above all those other gods. And my mountain sets me apart. That's interesting. The name Elohim, we often define it as the mighty one. But if we get down into the basic root, it actually means the God of the mountains. The God of the mountains. Now again, where, where did God reveal himself? Well, he revealed himself to Moses in a mountain. He revealed himself to Elijah in a mountain. He reveals himself to Israel in the mountain. He, he continues to be in the mountains. He's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on a mountain. And so here is God revealing himself in his mountain that is set apart by him. And it is for this reason, and the, 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 the prophecy here is going to tie to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3, the nations are going to come to Jerusalem. Verse 3 of Isaiah 2, And many people will come and say, Come, many peoples, not many Jews, many peoples, Jews and Gentiles, will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob, to the temple, that he, who? The God of Jacob, may teach us, instruct us, Torah us, concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths, for the law, the Torah, will go forth from Zion, from Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, or Zion. When Christ establishes his kingdom, Jerusalem is going to be the center of the whole world. It's going to be a city of peace, and the whole world is going to come to Jerusalem to learn and be instructed in God's laws, how to walk in his paths, how to follow his ways. Now let's close with verse 7. Then those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. We see a final procession here. We see a brief glimpse of the rejoicing, the procession of these believing nations coming to Zion. They're, they're playing instruments, they're singing, they're dancing as they come to the place where God dwells. Now the second line states here uh, that the, the, the substance of their praise. All my springs of joy are in you. Now, the word springs, uh, you know, in an, in an arid desert climate, a spring was a source of refreshing. To come across a spring of water was to be blessed, to enjoy uh, 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 refreshment. And so the world will see Zion, will see the holy city, will see Jerusalem as the source of blessing and pleasure. Why? Because that's where the Lord's presence will be. So to be in Zion, to come to Jerusalem for worship, because that's what you go there for, and when Christ is there, everybody's going to go to worship him in Jerusalem. And in doing so, all, including us, will be refreshed. You know, the city of God, that is ultimately the destiny. Abraham looked for the promise. Isaac looked for the promise. Jacob looked for the promise. All of these looked for the promise, but never found the city, according to Hebrews. And yet we're told in Galatians that the promise given to Abraham, we've been grafted into that promise. We've been grafted into the blessing of being in that city, of coming to that place where God's presence will dwell. Regardless of where someone is born, ultimately our true city is Jerusalem. The physical Jerusalem on earth and the new Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem in heaven. Augustine of Hippo once said, All earthly cities will fade and fail, but God's city will endure. You know, as people of God, let's think about that. Let's think about God's city. Consider what it means to be a citizen of that city. Whether you're a citizen of the physical Jerusalem or you're a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, should fill us with joy and satisfaction. Let's give God praise for the place that he dwells. And let's look forward to that day when we will be in his presence. Father, glorious God, the mighty one, the God of the mountains, we come to you. And we come to you because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, your son, our savior. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for who you are, for what you've done. Father, we, we are astounded at this prophecy so often we read through these psalms, but Lord, when we pause and see how this psalm relates to the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, Lord, we know that you have chosen this city 
called Jerusalem. You've established it as the place where your, your worship is to be, the place where your instruction will be, the place where your presence will dwell. And we look forward with great anticipation of that great future day when your son Jesus returns, the second person of the Godhead, he steps here on earth and he establishes Jerusalem once again as his throne, as his place, and he rebuilds that temple. And the world will flock there to worship him. What a great and glorious day. Father, I thank you for the new Jerusalem as well. Knowing that, Lord, when we are absent from this body, when we're present with you in the heavenlies, we will be there in that new Jerusalem. And what a great day it will be when that new Jerusalem descends from heaven and uh, hovers here over the earth. When the, when the spiritual Jerusalem will meet the physical Jerusalem. And uh, what a tremendous day that will be. Lord, I pray that you might forgive us, Father, for uh, not looking with anticipation. That, Lord, forgive us when we uh, just brush things to the side and, and, and even, you know, consider that, that even your city is, is just another city. Father, it is the city that you have set apart for your purposes, the place for you to be glorified, the place for you to be worshiped. And Father, in many ways, we're like Abraham. We're looking. We haven't gotten to that city yet. We're looking. We're waiting. But Father, we know the promise is true. You will bring us into that city, whether the physical or spiritual, but you will bring us into that city. And Lord, we look with anticipation. Guide us, lead us to that place when we come in those latter days to worship you in your presence. And Father, may we be refreshed like the springs of Zion. May we be refreshed. May we be filled with joy. May we be filled with satisfaction. To you be all the glory. May you get all the praise. And we say this, amen.